Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, tabletop gaming experience. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Experience is a very general topic, um, but it feels kind of... Uh, especially relevant in a day and age when we're getting Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, and uh, and we've played a lot of different systems recently, right? Like 7C and stuff like that. And so I, I actually think that there's a kind of a cool intersection and that it is a game design kind of pillar that deserves to be interrogated. Um, yeah, maybe... Because like, like, one of the things that interests me a lot about experience, or, like, experience-like systems specifically in tabletop, is that there are people on both sides who, you know what I mean, that there, there's no right way, because you have systems where there isn't experience, and there's systems that where there is experience, and there are levels and stuff like that, um, and so, that, 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 that interests me. Yeah, maybe a better term is character advancement. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what I'll title the episode when we're done and all said and done about this but uh yeah um that's interesting I, I i was coming into this with a little bit of a narrower view because um you know pathfinder there's like a half dozen ways to do experience directly in, inside of that but I, I i think that's a good call i think that broadening character advancement out um I, you know you, you say that there's there's like no right answer but i i don't i think there are some systems that that better fit than others and i also think that like character advancement as a concept is in games where it's not present there's kind of like i feel like those games are kind of more more tailored to short term than long term if that makes sense yeah i also think that those games are less crunchy uh like very often you in a game where it where it is less about kind of captain crunch number crunching um, those games typically are less focused on uh, on experience um, in like individual kind of like bites and everything. Yeah, I mean, but but even Seventh C, which is fairly fluffy, um, there there's still character advancement by way of stories. Um, yeah, Did, do you have a particular? Like, I don't know if I know of any system that ha- that lacks any advancement at all do you have one on the off the top of your head uh dusk city outlaws does that have progression at all uh there's i think that there first of all there's kind of the whole like cycling people through uh like you know like the the game's also kind of built that you 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 build characters and discard them fairly easily um but i there is a a a long-term advancement mechanic that is uh for campaigns that i think is less about character power more kind of about like favors if i remember correctly i, I haven't looked okay. at the rules in a while but, yeah, but you're so, right it uh, is fairly flat uh so something that happened in my hometown is that a very small group of tabletop rpg publishers cropped up and they published two books before they folded um and in both of their books there was tiny non practically non-existent character evolution um, those books were called Underworld and The Last Exodus. Underworld being kind of like a... Underworld is kind of a, like, uh, magic 
stopped existing in the world because it's bound to these like magic runes or whatever and so like ambient magic was flowing all across the planet and then the new york subway system just happened to draw out one of those runes and so all of the magic on the planet concentrated in the tunnel in the in the subway tunnels and below um of like the New York subway tunnels, kind of like Ghostbusters 2 or something like that, you know what I mean? Like Or like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, kind of. Like, there's that, like, under the, you know, under the city, there's this whole other city fantasy yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that system didn't, doesn't have character progression. Uh, I think it, it might have a little bit. Like, you can, it kind of in, like, the 7C side, but it's not very systemized. You can just kind of end up getting some... Um, you can end up getting some experience, maybe. And then uh, and then the other book that they put out, which is called The Last Exodus, which basically starts from the premise that all the religions on the planet are true, right? And then a really, really, like, deep, dense lore and world-building to explain how, despite all of the contradictions, that is the case. Um, which has... Uh, uh, and also probably has the widest, most generally applicable character builder I've ever seen in my life. Where you can do and play literally anything. Like, I, it, it would be incredibly hard for me to think up of something that you couldn't play under that system. Um, well, what was, it? was it a very crunchy system or not? Uh, it was mildly crunchy, actually, to tell you okay. the truth. Uh, it was a system that didn't use dice, though. Uh, Underworld uses coin flips, or used coin flips, um, as its, as its like, primary driving mechanic, and you got, like, more flips and stuff like that, and you had to get a certain number of heads versus a certain number of tails. Uh, but The Last Exodus used a card system. Um, and we might have played a little bit... I really like this card system, to be honest with you, so we might have used it a little bit in, um, uh, when we were at Hopkins and HPPG, um... But the system is, you know, you flip a card and whatever the value on that card is, that's your... And everything is is everything is head-to-head, um, -head, essentially. So, right. like, you flip a card and then I flip a card as the GM, and that determines who wins, who loses kind of thing. And like, But you add some stats where necessary um, or penalties, you know, like, where necessary yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. And, like, HP, there's, like, a... The HP system was actually pretty complex because it was, like you know, your number of, like, points in, like, your body statistic, and then double that, and then double that, and then you had three layers of HP, minor something, and then major damage or whatever, and you had to get through somebody's minor damage, which is, like, scrapes and bruises, and then right, the right. medium one, which is, you know, whatever, and then major, each of the major wounds, I feel like, like, when you took a major wound, you, like, broke an arm or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. And then you lose all your major wounds and you die. Um, so yeah, it was actually it was actually a lot crunchier than that. But like they they basically thought of just like everything that anybody could possibly play. Like one of the the, the like one of the things that you can play in the Last Exodus is a sentient emotion. Um, so you can play like the embodiment. I think they're called like cere cerebrals or something like that. And so you could like play like the embodiment of. Uh, like fear or, you know, anxiety or like disgust or something like that. Um, it's actually, I actually think it's wider than just emotions. Like you could play 
like I, I think because I once played the Cerebral of Insanity, um, and so you could just play like something that was a, a like a literalized concept. <laughs> so I, anyway, I, I'm 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 skeptical. Is is is, is how I'll put put my feelings about that, but. No, um, I hey man, I'm dead serious. Like I almost want to go. I bought the rule book actually. Sure, um, no, so I, I, have, I am. I have I'm a rule sure. for. I, uh, I I do not. I do not doubt that this system exists. I, what I'm doubting is 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 how well it works. Oh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, how well does it work? Oof, not amazingly well, to be honest. Well, I, you know, I'm not going to say that. It's it is it is it's fine. It's fine. It's. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it didn't have any advancement. Then. Yeah, it didn't really have an advancement system. Um, there were some small kind of like sort of advancement ideas in there um, because like there was like a point system to build your character and everything like that. Um, you actually had two different characters to build. You had a normal like person who lives in, in the world at like the person who lives on the material plane. Um, and then you had your kind of, uh, like, your your alter ego that exists in, like, heaven or whatever. Um, and there was, like, a point system where, like, the number of advantages you give your heaven self, you have to give your human self in disadvantages. And the number of advantages you give your human self, you have to give your heaven self in disadvantages. And so, like, there were ideas that maybe you could end up earning extra points... Um, or extra advantages or disadvantages based on, like, you know, like, your actions and stuff like that. But none of that was really systemized in any kind of way. Like, not even in the general way that, like, stories in 7C are generalized. Okay. So. Okay. I see. I see. Interesting. Because I, I think, ultimately, this this is this is kind of what, like, character, character advancement is just kind of, like, um, a, a stakeholder for, for, for character character progression in a lot of ways mechanically yeah. right yeah um, and that's kind of the the important part but I, you know outside of this kind of like introductory piece I, I think I kind of want to dive deep first into into traditional experience points systems that that you know D and Pathfinder embrace um, and we use a lot of milestone style systems. Um, but uh, I've I've played in games that do numerical XP. Have you played in a lot of games that do numerical XP? Yeah, yeah. Mark uh, in front of the cast, Mark likes to do n- numerical XP. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, or he liked to. So like the game that I played uh, when we were in college together, that was all numerical. Okay. Um. And he's the, the game I'm playing with him right now. Uh, Carrying Crowd is using is using numbers as well. Um. Uh. But the game I'm and the game I'm playing with uh with with my 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 other friend is is in five e is also numerical, um. Uh, but Hell's Rebels in the game of Wrath of the Righteous that I run has been pure milestone. Yeah. Uh. Do you do you have any opening thoughts on 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 those systems or maybe even if you wanted to throw something else in there as well? Yeah. I mean, so the basics of the Pathfinder experience system is kind of catch all experience. Um, and it doesn't truly catch all, like, if you, like, if you break this down into kind of its component parts, um, experience and gold are the, the, like, the two fundamentals, um, they, um, experience ties up, you know, like, ties up a certain subset of things, and then gold ties up a certain other subset 
of things, but they both sure. adv- advance your character um, and its progression. Uh, but I don't think, like, mathematically, like, if we were to break down Pathfinder to, like, you know, uh, like, to, to its just systems-level math, I think the, the, the two pillars it stands on are experience and gold. Um, and so the Pathfinder system, uh, with its experience explicitly, ties all of that experience into, like, that one root concept. Um, so, like, when you're, when you, whenever you do something, you gain experience. Um, and uh, so, you know, like, even if I diplomatically, you know, convince the ogre not to fight me or whatever, I still get experience as if I defeated him, right? Uh, or when I complete story milestones that are completely, like, regardless of any kind of competition or anything along those lines, right? Um, you know, you, you, you get experience, uh, for that, and then that experience translates into levels, and then levels is kind of where everything else kind of branches out. It's the thing that determines uh, a lot of your numerical statistics and like base attack bonuses and your saves and stuff like that. This is all going away in Pathfinder Two, but um, and then it also determines stuff like class features, right? Like when a wizard hits level three, he unlocks level three spells, right? When a fighter hits level three, he gets his level three you know, fighter of whatever ability that is, like weapon training or armor training or whatever, you know. Um, and so that's a, that's the overview of, I think, how Pathfinder does it. Um, the thing is, is that I don't think it's actually very intuitive a lot of the time what the, the numbers for experience really mean. Um, and so the reason that I prefer milestones is because it it's just so, it's so much easier to kind of, intuit what's going on and and explain in a in an abstract sense i guess um what what the progression and what the pacing will be like yeah so i i I think for adventure paths milestone makes a lot of sense um mostly because you're kind of tied to it tied tighter to a storyline and you would be in a more freeform campaign yeah i also think specifically with like I, i i think there are aspects of experience that i would do numerical experience for like for instance in this discovery campaign that we are talking about yeah um where it is very freeform there isn't a, a narrative through line it's a lot more about exploring the game space that is a place where ex- like true blue experience makes a lot of sense to me um but something that you know like so for instance in the third book of hell's rebels you guys had seven small plot lines to get to the end of right and so and i knew i wanted to to kind of milk of this sweet spot this this mechanic sweet spot of level uh what was it level nine to level 12 um sort of thing and so every two of the storylines you completed you leveled up right and and i like that because it kind of puts the the focus on the story aspect of it um rather than you know than anything else um but i do think that it is valid to put it on other stuff right like and i think that you know in in an in an exploration campaign when you you know come across a hex that has a dragon in it and that dragon seems to be above your cr but you also know that it'll give you a fat boatload of experience and it might tick you over you know what i mean like i think that that's a valid choice to make um and that's a valid way to present that to players so in games that aren't narratively focused i don't think milestones make a ton of sense yeah i I mean i i think even in in games that have like a narrative but like the the exploration 
is more open. Like, like for better or for yeah. worse, adventure paths tend to be fairly linear. And not that that's mm. an invalid experience, but it just lends itself more to, like, you're hitting these beats at the at these certain points and leveling up at these certain points. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, to make a comparison of video games, right? You can gate, like, on a linear game, you can gate character abilities just based on how far they've progressed into the game, right? Like, this is, like... It's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a classic kind of, like, JRPG-style thing where... Like, like, say, Pokemon, right? You have to advance past the, the part with the bushes. The you have, leader, yeah, or whatever. You, you have to get your cut. And that's, like, you know... Like, the, the advancement are, like, the either, the, like you said, the gym-level badges or, like, um, like the, the, the hidden machines or whatever, at least in the early versions. Um, whereas in a game like, say, Skyrim or, uh, or, or any... Or, I don't know, maybe, like... Uh, uh, you know, like World of Warcraft, right? You've got, you know, you're generally, like, especially with the new leveling system, hey, um, you're, you're kind of free to do what you want and, and you want that uh, experience game to be a little bit more fungible and thus uh, and, and thus kind of give characters the abilities to, the ability to kind of level in the way they want, if that makes sense. Um well, I actually, so I do think that that brings up a, because I do think that there's actually a difference between the way a JRPG or World of Warcraft gate experience versus Skyrim, um, or even something like Minecraft, which we wouldn't, which has experience like as the as a system, um, but like we don't think about it because like you know, like war, yeah, World of Warcraft has made experience easier over the with the with like the leveling changes or whatever. But there's still breakpoints at sixty, eighty, sure, you know, ninety, one hundred or whatever, where you can't. And then there's like, you know, World of Warcraft at max level is a different game than World of Warcraft and and as a, as a leveling experience. Um, and the game kind of frames the leveling experience as you know. You, like it is you ascending steps to get to that level, right? Like it's kind of goal driven of reaching max level and unlocking that max level content in a lot of ways. Um, not not always, right? If you're farming the lore master achievements or something like that, or looking for transmog from old world quests, right? That those are obviously very valid reasons to play. But I think you know the majority of things is I want to play a shaman. And most gameplay happens at max level, so I'm going to level my shaman to max level kind of thing, right? Uh, whereas in uh, Minecraft, where experience is used directly with the item enchantment system, um, and with uh, Skyrim, where experience gets used for, like, the perks and everything like that, uh, the game world kind of revolves around you in a abstract sort of way where there are some places that are heavily... Like, there are some places that are kind of progression-gated, right? Like, it is tough to do an ocean temple in Minecraft without ocean temple gear, and you need to farm enough experience to get that gear to do the ocean temple sort of thing. Uh, but the ocean temple is there either way, and it doesn't block off your ability to go to the ocean temple at a lower level or without the proper gear if you want to. And in the same and the same thing kind of happens in Skyrim, right? Like most of the game confirms conforms to your level, but there are certain places or certain spots where it won't. Um, you know, like if you run into a giant at low level, the giant just fucking like murder houses you sort of thing. Um, right. Like, but 
That that that's that's level scaling you're talking about, right? Right, right, right. But the the, the point I the, the the point I'm making is that like there are sometimes when experience is used as like a a progression, like a linear progression system, and there are times when experience is used as like an expression um, system. I, another good example of this, actually, from a tabletop space, is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which has experience, but you don't have levels. Your experience is spent to buy specific things kind of in the way that like skyrim you use your experience to buy perks according to the skills that you've leveled up to certain points um in uh in warhammer fantasy roleplay you have your career right like the the medieval job that you are fulfilling at any given time um and you can buy certain upgrades that that abstractly correspond with that excuse me with that job like they can make your, you know, you can make your skills a little bit better, or you can make some of your base abilities a little bit better within, you know, within certain kind of uh, within parameters. certain kind of parameters. Yeah, um, but like how that happens is really up to you. You know what I mean? And so that's much more a game that I would call like where experience is kind of expression. Whereas in Pathfinder, I think gold is very expressive, right? Gold is here is a resource. You choose how to use it best for you, right? Where experience is not. Experience is 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 raw, um, kind of like progression gated. I'm using progression in two different ways, which is confusing. I now realize, but I think I, yeah. think, I think I made myself. Clear. I, I think experience is, is is expressive in Pathfinder in that you know, you make choices as you advance, right? Like it's not like the same things tick up. But I think similarly in Skyrim, right? Like your 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 health values, your stamina, and your your mana go up with each level you gain, and that is a form of like limitation on what you can do. Um, and so I, I do think there are aspects of, of that there, but, but I, I think it's more of on, on a sliding scale than it is kind yeah, of like yeah, a, yeah, a, a binary. Like there, there are, it's a spectrum where kind of everything is both. I absolutely agree. Um, but yeah. Um, do you, do you have any, like, do you, do you, like some people have very strong opinions on like, say on, on whether experience is, is, is kind of good or not, whether, whether points are good or not, um, as as listeners will know, I'm I'm a fan of the Angry GM, and he is, in general, opposed to milestone XP because he he believes that um, players uh, players want to see their progress marked down with numbers, um, and that's you know uh, something that's just weird because like you know, that's never something that's bothered me um, in particular, but I I could see it bothering some people. Um, again, especially with a campaign that's a little bit more open-ended, there it, it, it's a little bit harder to feel the progression, the, feel like things are necessarily happening around you and growth is happening if you don't have a storyline to pin it to. Uh, yeah, I think the I think the angry GM also kind of makes uh, like a little bit of his persona is derived from like making stances like this, which is fine, um, but. Uh... Uh, I think that's a kind of myopic view, in a way. That's that's meaner than I want it to be. It's just like I like I think that describes a very real subset of players, and probably the dominant subset of players um, that are you know reading Angry GM or that he interacts with commonly. Like I understand why he has that kind of perspective, but uh, I don't think that that I, I I don't think that there's such thing as like like. There's no universal wrench for this. There's no universal experience wrench that is perfect for every system 
ever. You know what I mean? It, it will always be based on the kind of game that you're playing in the kind of system that you're playing, I think. Sure. No, and, 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 and I get that. I don't know. Part, part of me wants to say that, like, like, Milestone Experience can't always sub in for Numerical Experience, but I feel like Numerical Experience can just kind of fill in for milestone experience right like well you just... so yeah i think it can but it's inefficient at times and i also think that it, it, like experience as a system and like as a game designer doesn't necessarily do what you want it to do when it's numerical versus milestone right like milestone experience um in hell's rebels places the like it kind of places the progression at story beats right you complete a story you complete two stories you level up you know what I mean? So it kind of places the focus on the narrative, which makes a lot of sense for, like, that game as opposed to, you know, something something different that is a little bit... Um... And, like, there's right. obviously an exploring the space, like, aspect to Hell's Rebels. You guys could choose which of these seven small plot lines you're going to, to follow and in what, in what order you're going to follow them in book three or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, right, like, I think Milestone Experience is a more direct kind of one-to-one -one connection that gets that like that like fires neurons than than numerical experience does right like in kind of like you know in in the most naive implementation of this if you want to sub in numerical experience you could just like after two stories give us exactly as much experience as it causes us to level up and that would serve this that, that's what i mean by yeah, it's, I, it's okay, directly yeah, I, I get that but to be honest that's just milestone experience that's like the, a little bit harder to like implement milestone experience as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Like I, I understand what I understand what uh, what you're getting at though. Like yeah, I, I think that um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. And, and you know not, not that that necessarily makes it better, but like if you want somebody, I, the, the point being like if you if you want to kind of tie it to this but still have like the numbers thing, like you have a player who's really into those numbers and you want to let him enjoy that aspect of it, you can just like you know. Take the number, use your calculator, and hit divide by like seven or whatever. And be like, well, you finish this once, you get this much for this quest, right? And uh, and and give that experience to the players that want it without while maintaining the um, the kind of miles, like the the tying of the levels to the story beats for both balance. Like, and part of this is also a balance problem, right? Like, if your characters are higher level than you ex than the content expects them to be, they have an easier time. And that's fine. Um, at some, like for a certain period of time, right? Like, um, I, th I think this was the angry GM again, but he, uh, he described basically, uh, a kind of rhythm where you want players to be underpowered for a little bit at content for a little bit and then overpowered for a little bit and then tip over back into underpowered for a little bit to kind of like, like get that progression rhythm going. And I, I kind oh, of interesting. like, I like that idea. Um, and Intuitively, I like that idea, but I—that's just—I've—I've I've never thought about that before. Yeah. So it's just a snap, a snapped thought. Sure. Um. And it's, it just kind of, you know, and and if you can control, like, the, you need to have a certain amount of control over how your players level and how what encounters you throw at them, right? Again, adventure paths are kind of—I don't want to say unique because, like, they are a ma like they are a very major way that that the game gets played. Um, be either be it either like raw adventure paths or like Pathfinder Society or whatever. Yeah. Um, where um, they are designed to be played as written, and as such, you need to be able to control your players' levels. 
Um, otherwise, you have to go in and do the work to make sure that they're not just raffle stomping all over the content, which is something I think that happens anyway. But that's 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 besides the point. That's yeah. Um. Uh, and 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 I like I, I think that's kind of like the the core of of the experience issue is how well uh, how, how much any piece of giving content challenges your players now um part of this is you know like like we were talking about this second edition is revamping experience i believe it's 100 experience for every level and i assume that the experience you get from creatures scales differently that i've seen stuff like this before how do you feel about that buddy uh i am actually a little skeptical of that um just because okay like part of the reason that i said you know the version of things where you just at the end of it at the end of you know every st like story beat you just dole out the appropriate amount of experience that's just milestone with like extra steps um is because it's not really interfacing with like the other rules that revolve around experience inside of pathfinder right um which are things like when you kill a monster you get a certain amount of experience from it right, right. um and those kinds of rules um, are kind like I feel like numerical experience is really is, is like is is built on that kind of a foundation where whatever you're doing you are going to earn numerical experience somehow and I feel like that experience has to scale up over time or else you obviously kind of fall into the problem where. Um, you are, you know, farming boars or something like that. Like, I, I, I guess, like, I, I, maybe they're going to have some kind of protection where it's like, you can't farm boars or if like, like, uh, you know, let's say they do something like when you kill something that's lower than your level, it is worth, like, let's say you kill something that's worth 30 experience, right? But you are two levels higher than its CR is. And then they're like, well... You know, because you're over-leveled, it gives you less experience. WoW has a system like this, right? Um, because you're over-leveled for the content, it gives you less experience than it should on paper. And there's, like, a coefficient that pops up. And now you're only getting, fit. you know, like, it's half or something. And you're only getting 15 experience. That seems way harder math to kind of, not do, but, like... It's just a lot less intuitive to me. Um, uh, I think it's a lot more I'm work on skeptical. It's, it seems like it's a lot more work on the on the GM's part. Yeah. Um, which. But the thing is, is that it's also a little bit more work on the players' part because they have to comprehend on the GM's part. You know what I mean? Like, like if, do, I, if do, we kill a baby white dragon at level one, and then at level three we kill another baby white dragon, I now have something in my head that says I got a hundred experience. From my first baby white dragon kill, and I only got fifty from my second. What's up with that? And now the GM has to explain. Well, you're over leveled for the content, so I applied, you know, the coefficient from the the DM book. That all of that stuff just seems wonky. I don't know why you yeah, would just have experience scale the way it normally scales. That that is the so. So I I, I think maybe you're approaching bias to the status quo. I also think that you're approaching this from the wrong direction. Like, I don't think. Any creature can like no creature can have a, a base experience number in the system because you're always looking to hit 100, oh, right? Fair, right? Like everything, it, it's got to be that like encounters at CR are X experience and encounters below CR are Y experience and encounters above are, are Z, and that's not confirmed yet. Um, but I have to imagine that that's the way it's gonna go, right? Like you you can't have anything have a base experience of 20 because 
20 means the same thing at first through 20th level. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how much I enjoy that. I don't know how much I think that's good. Because one, one of the advantages, I think, about numerical experience, actually, is that it shows you, uh, or it allows you to kind of comprehend the difference in experience in defeating different monsters, even at the same star. Right. Um, so, for instance, defeating a group of orcs is going to give you a different set of experience than defeating a single dragon, right? Um, and I kind of like that interaction to a certain extent. Uh, like, WoW does this with rare mobs, right? Um, killing regular mobs just gives you a very small amount of experience. Most of your experience comes through quests. Uh, but when you kill a rare mob, the rare mob, the experience that the rare mob is worth is equal to about a quest completion, right? So there are specific kind of jackpots of experience out in the world um, that you can crack open, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and it's a different kind of... Like, it's a different kind of challenge and a different way to kind of progress yourself. And I actually like that to a certain extent. Like, insofar as numerical experience is a thing, um, I think it's a perfectly valid thing for players to make decisions based on those kinds of experience numbers, right? Like, they come to a fork in the road, uh, you know, on one end is a bunch of goblins, on the other end is a young black dragon, and they intuitively crunch the numbers and understand that while the goblins might have more gold, the dragon has more experience and they'd rather ding than they would, you know, buy their next... I think all of that... Like, that, that is the advantage to numerical experience, in my opinion, right? Like, if you're, if you're doing numerical experience, it should be a real system that players grapple with and make decisions based on. Um, and that's kind of the prime way to do it. So I feel like boiling everything down to just, you know, you you earn experience by completing encounters abstractly at CR levels abstractly kind of loses that. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think I agree with you. Um, maybe, you know, I, I do trust people at Paizo, though. Maybe they figured out a, a better way to, to do that. Yeah, maybe they um, did. Who knows? Uh, I mean, maybe uh, they honestly just kind of say... As a GM, you police what the players, you know, you police what the players do. Don't let them fucking farm boars. Yeah, well, just leave uh, it at that. That would actually kind of be, like you have that kind of freedom in Pathfinder because you're kind of outsourcing the administration of any individual game to to a DM. And I feel as though like maybe they just leave that kind of loophole in, and they expect the GM to kind of police it out on a case by case basis and don't really worry about it. I was gonna say technically you could farm boars in Pathfinder as it is, right? Like, yeah. Like I, I actually wanted to touch on this because this is the thing that people talk about is the farming boars problem, and you know, as much as it's a theoretical problem, I think that in tabletop games it's actually not a real problem. Oh, I disagree with that, but okay. Keep going. You, 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 you think that there are player like there are players that would say like there are. One thousand percent players, and I have played games with those players. That will that will that will go like hunt boars in a forest instead of like doing the plot stuff because that would that like that lets them farm experience. I, I don't know that 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 just seems super weird to me for a tabletop experience. Like, um, I, so this was in high school when none of us okay. were very good. Were none of, like none of us were good players or good GMs, right? Um, but uh, down like when downtime would happen and we were also playing with a bunch of theater kids but one of our friends was kind of a captain crunch and so when downtime would happen he would go 
I don't want to, you know, like, I don't want to, like, rest in town and get drunk with everybody at the bar. I'm going to go into the forest and kill random monsters for experience. You know what I mean? Like, he absolutely made those kinds of things. And I think the GM, I don't quite remember what ended up happening with so, that. Like, maybe so, he just off-screened it and he ended up getting... And we also had, like, a bad experience system. And I, I like, we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to, like, what a bad experience system, like, looks like in the first place. But, uh, yeah, like, so I have definitely played with people who are who are like this, and I kind of understand uh, that it is, I think it is an edge case, right? But it is a real edge case rather than a theoretical edge case. See, see, that's that's really interesting, because I, I think the, the thing you're hitting there is the fact that it's downtime, right? Like, I, th- I, I am much more willing to believe that that's possible if somebody wants to go gain experience in downtime than, you know, somebody wants, like a player or a whole party wants to derail the entire on-screen adventures by doing like just like, if, if you're going to just go farm monsters on screen, as it were, um, that's called the dungeon crawl. And you don't do that with boars, right? Like, I feel like if that's the experience you want, there's better ways to do that than go like farm boars in the forest. Yeah. I mean, I do think that that, that is the completionist drive that goes into dungeon crawls, right? When people say we need to clear every room in the dungeon, which I'm on record as thinking is not very good. Uh, when people do that kind of thing, they are farming boars, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's part of, that's like this weird, There, I think that's that's a whole other episode about, like, why you want to go clear all the rooms in a dungeon. And no, the, yeah, the I, I, sure. I, I, people, people are, like, there's that completionist urge and everything like that, but um, I, I think I, that the system incentivizes it. Yeah, no, I, I think there's weird incentive structures there where, like, if you hit the wrong rooms, you don't get the treasure, and that's a problem. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if there's a great way to fix that. Um, but I th- again, I think that's a separate episode that maybe we should go over at, at some point. But um, uh, the the point I wanted to highlight is I don't think that the idea that in downtime, like there's a character, and you know, maybe you know, in care, it's not just the power gamer wants to be more powerful. It's that like you know the honorable warrior doesn't take to, you know, going and, and gallivanting about town. He's going to be honing his skills because that's what he does, right? And, you know, I, I think there's ways to do that, right? Like, you, you make a profession soldier rolls and he gets some minor amount of gold and whatever. And um, I'm actually kind of excited because Pathfinder 2 does specifically want um, downtime to be, like, a mode of play. And yeah, so I'm actually super excited for that. I'm really interested to see what they come up with. Um, and I think I, I assume that a part of that's going to be retraining because I think that that's, that's a good way to use that. Um, yeah, they said that they, the retraining rules are going to be in the core. Yeah. Which, which I think is really good. Cause I don't think we've, we as a group have ever really played around with them, but yeah. it's, um, I do think that they're actually really well done. They do good things with like, you can retrain, uh, HP. And what that does is it lets you like increase your HP to its theoretical, maximum slowly which i think is a great way to deal with like the die problems i actually think the starfinder just solves it and i hope that they use that system for pathfinder mm-hmm. 2 which is just like set hp i actually think oh you know that's actually kind of cool i do think that uh that uh a more robust training back end for uh hp would be a good way to solve the die problem and i would be more comfortable keeping die rolls for hp along with that kind of system I, the, the, the thing I don't like about it is that, like, it's such a fundamental part of your character. It's such a, you know, we're talking about advancement, it's such a fundamental part of your character advancement, and you can be kind of 
screwed by a one-off role. And that, that bothers me a lot. Yeah, um, but I do like that people don't have... There's there's a little bit of something that that to the standardization of HP in in Starfinder that does bug me a little bit. Um, I think that luck is part of the game, um, and that kind of compensating in one way or another for specific die rolls. So you know, to to put this out in its like positive use case, let's say I'm a fighter, right? Um, but I've rolled one for my last three levels, right? That has a real inf impact on my progression, right? Like, I'm not super fucked because I probably have, like, a relatively high constitution, but now maybe I'm prioritizing my saves or I'm prioritizing my AC more um, than uh, to, to, to try and, like, up my effective HP um, than I am, worry, you know, just, like, saying, oh, well, I'm going to buy the newest sword or whatever. Like, yeah, maybe it's important to buy that shield, Right, with like a higher enhancement bonus to make sure that like, you know, I'm compensating for my bad luck on my HP rolls. Like I think that that's a that's a real decision to make, and I think that that's pretty cool. Um, it's just that like, the, I, I, the, I don't know if I'm the, comfortable with that being tied to a random die roll though. Like, so like. So I'm not comfortable with it tied be to being a random die roll without another system, which is why I like the idea of, like, if, with a more robust training system where you just kind of say, and if you have nothing else to do in downtime, you can do push-ups or jumping jacks, and it increases your HP at a certain, you know, at a certain rate to its theoretical, you know, like, to its theoretical maximum, right? Like, I think that's a pretty good way to, to fill that, to fill in yeah, that gap. I, I get that. I just, I just feel like it's, it's a system with... All give and no take. Like I feel like if there were more factors that kind of operated on that principle, like like you know that you know had a die roll attached to it, and maybe a, a, a piece that let you kind of like smooth it out a little bit. Yeah. Then I'd be more okay with it. The fact that it's 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 HP, it's so central to kind of every character, and it's um and it's like uh the other thing is is like. The, we the reason that attack rolls feel all right is because you do so many of them um, that, like, you know, the law of averages uh, eventually kind of, like, evens things out. Yeah, but the law of averages doesn't work super well for HP because there's, like, at you best 20 rolls. 19. Um, yeah. <laughs> because technically you get all your HP at first level. But, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, you know that's that that's kind of my, my fundamental problem with that. But... That aside, I I think I I understand your point, and I think there is something cool there. I just don't. I'm just not super happy with it in the way that it currently expresses yeah. itself. Yeah, I also think that you know, like honestly, I almost kind of wish that like the die rolls were like halved. This is kind of the wrong way to think about it, but like I almost kind of at at this point, um, constitution modifiers are are a small fixed boost to each of the die rolls, which are much larger, right? Uh, you know, a warrior, uh, like a fighter with a 16 constitution, which would be pretty high, right? It has a plus three, but his age, his hit die is 10 or whatever. And I almost kind of want to even those things out to a certain extent, right? Like, and you would say, you know, the die roll is, whatever your die roll is, is divided by two. Whatever your constitution is, it's multiplied by two. And now all of a sudden you have effectively 1d5, right? Plus six, right? Um, and so you get a more steady increase of, uh, 
you know, essentially the point I'm making is that I, I think the math is probably not great. Um, and that yeah. that's the thing that should be, uh, that's like the thing that should be pruned, um, rather than the randomization itself. I actually think the randomization itself, uh, specifically if it was a lower percentage of your overall HP would be much better. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that. I can get on board with that. Um, I've got some ideas swimming around in my head, but this is not necessarily the place for that. Um, did we... Uh, so we, we went so over... So I do want to talk about XP, uh, like numerical XP as a bad system, because I okay, do think go for it. that there are ways that it is a bad system. Um, Pathfinder gets rid of a lot of this stuff, but I also think it's the kind of thing that doesn't quite get... Um, uh, it doesn't quite get adjudicated correctly in all scenarios, and I want to explain a little bit about the system that we played in for a while uh, in this high school game, right? So the experience system that we used, right, said that half of any monster's HP, or I'm sorry, uh, XP that you earned for killing it, right, went to a pool, and the other half went to the person who lands the killing blow, right? Um, and this is, I don't know how how much that's part of 3-5. I don't think that that's like... That's not any, like a real rule, I don't think. Right, that's, that, that's not any kind of like standardization between 3-5. But it is something that, that we see pretty commonly, I feel like, when we do numerical XP systems, which is essentially that, you know, like... Th like this system is 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 kind of bad because it, it does stuff like encourage kill, kill stealing or whatever. Or if you're playing a support character and you're not landing a lot of killing blows, all of your experience is coming from the pool, right? Which is just not enough to keep up with the war. The, you know, like the fighter who's getting all of his experience from kills or whatever, right? There's that aspect to it, but there is also the asymmetrical aspect to it, right? And that asymmetrical aspect to it will sometimes crop up in more benign scenarios uh um, <clears throat> um but that can cause some real problems uh the best example of this that i have is mark's game where um where because we also we had personal storylines um that gave us individual experience and he awarded individual experience for um, role playing and stuff like that. We actually ended up in a in a situation where the party was mixed was level mis mismatched, right? And some people would level up at the end of a session when he would be like, "You get all this experience," um, or whatever. Um, and some people would level up uh, like 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 after that. And so the power dynamics for the group were very wonky, right? And even that, we were actually kind of ignoring. Uh, the rule that says you get experience when you kill shit. You know what I mean? Like, when you do stuff. Um, and I think that that's a lot more disruptive than people give it credit for, which is why it gets, quote-unquote, house-ruled out most of the time to at the beginning or the end of a session, right? Where all of the experience you earned during that session gets pooled up and given to you as one lump sum at the end of the session because by raw, you might tick over into experience, like, into a new level completely in the middle of the action and it just boom stops all of the drama all of the tension dead right um and i think these are some of the different ways that numerical experience has problems that need to be solved right like yeah i think players leveling up mid-session is bad and i think player level asymmetry is also bad um 
And when you combine those two things, I think it's even worse because then you have one player who's leveling up in the middle of a session versus another player who wants to keep progressing with the story and it's just a fucking clusterfuck. Yeah, no, I I think I agree with you with mid-session, right? Unless unless it's, like, a thing you planned or want, you know, like, a a thing that you want to do is, like, experience mid-session. Like, unless you are, as a DM, are keeping a pretty intense watch on the amount of experience that's being doled out and the amount of, and, and the experience level that your players are at. Right. I mean, uh, there's always this kind of, like, you know, experience is, is awarded. It's not, like, you know, the DM awards you experience, so that happens whenever he says it is. But that's that's its own kind of thing. But um, in terms of uh, in terms of player-level disparity, I think I agree with you for the most part, but I don't think it necessarily has to be bad. I think that you can do it right. It's just you have to keep it within, like, a very tight range. Like, I don't think, like, any character can be more than, like, say, half a level ahead of anybody else. Um, but I do think there's something to be said for kind of, like, the environment where, you know, maybe Bob doesn't show up on the second, uh, the second night, so he's a little bit behind, um, but Steve, who shows up every night, is, is a little bit ahead. I think that, I think that's okay, and that's, that's valuable. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another part of it, right? Like, if your character isn't there, like, how do you deal with, like, an absent character? Do you have... Do you embrace experience asymmetry? Because, I, I mean, you know, I, I've dealt with experience asymmetry in a couple of places, and it's really caused some some uh, some drama because, you know, players can get pissed can get pissed when they're underpowered compared to other players in the group, right? There's, there's an expectation of equity um, to, certain, to certain things. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like the difference is, is, is you can't let the power disparity get too big, and there also has to be, like, for lack of but a better as soon term... As, but as soon as you have experience asymmetry, that power level will get, th- like, it will get big at a certain point, I feel like. I I, I don't think it has to. Like, it, 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 as, as long as you, like, like have, like, let's say, like, you know, very basic catch-up mechanic, right, is, like, let's say let's just use this theoretical 100-point system... When, you know, you've got a level 3, level 4 player, and you defeat a level 4 monster, the level 3 player is going to get more experience than the level 4 player, and while he might never catch up directly, or exactly, he'll, you know, close the gap enough that the the power... Gap... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, that makes actually a certain amount of sense. I wasn't really thinking about it with, like, a time delta in there, but that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. for instance, if the, if the experience asymmetry is one experience, like, hypothetically speaking... Let's say an encounter happens, the person with one more ticks over and the person behind does not. It is less bad for that person to only be one encounter behind than to be six encounters behind. I think right. that makes sense. I didn't really consider time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then part part of this, I think, goes to get, like, is when you've got this thing, like, maybe, like, you know, if, if you not are not leveling up mid-session, right, then it's always at least one session behind. Um which has its own set of uh, consequences. This is actually something I've been thinking about recently because um, in my later years, I have less free time to play D&D on, say, a weeknight every week. And so the way we end up playing in person, at least, um, is uh, once or twice a month for longer sessions. And so a uh, like if I was level four and the rest of the party was level five for a whole session, I might be a little bit more aggravated. Yeah. Um, Especially, Especially if you know that you're only, like, 
you know, if you're six experience behind yeah. and you know that the first encounter you dealt with that session would have dinged you, but yeah. now you're doing seven more set, you know, seven more encounters before the end of the session. That does suck. Yeah. And I, I think there are ways to deal with that too in, in, in not terrible ways, right? Like yeah. you can, you can say like, you're like, go pre-level and when you ding, you can just apply that set of that, that, that template to your character and that's fine. Um, but these are all like kind of mitigations but i i think your problems are kind of well-founded right like i don't i think i think there is value in having asymmetric leveling in in terms of uh you know incentivizing players to show up every week if that makes sense because uh but again if your sessions are twice a month that's a much bigger problem um we've recently had some kind of discussion with this um around marks in person game um uh, just because like not everybody can make every session, and the game is kind of designed around it's a seven-person table with the expectation that um, most sessions don't necessarily have everybody at the table, uh, and I think that that's fine. But um, he's he seems to be Mark seems to be keeping everybody at the same level just for simplicity's sake. Um, but I do I do think there can be value there, especially in like a a, a, a setting that's dedicated to it. Like like this is how society works, right? Like. Your characters are all kind of independent of each other, and um, and maybe I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do you mean society like the real world? No, path, path, Pathfinder society. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, Pathfinder society. Yes. Okay. Good. Sorry. I was like, sorry. <laughs> I was like there aren't really experience levels, man. God, that's not how it works. What, what are maybe, you talking about? I like, just I just hit level I, twenty yesterday. Yeah, buddy. You know. Are you mad that I'm level twenty? You're level fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> That is how you're right. That is how that is yeah, how sorry. Sorry. society works. <laughs> Adventurous yeah, League but and like, but society. I also think that this is how to you know like this is how Seven C works, right? There's in there's there's asymmetry because your advancement is tied to your uh, story, which is kind of unique to you, right? And so there are situations where. Um, you know, like there are situations where somebody completes their story and achieves whatever goal their story would achieve for them, or, or you know, whatever, right? Um, and uh, and that's actually kind of not a problem in those situations because the power level is so kind of scrunched. You know, yeah. what I mean? like there are there is a much wider power disparity um, in Pathfinder between levels than. You know, in uh, in seventh C between story character completion. Yeah, I, p part of that one is that um, advantages are like one or two advantages up on another character is in the end of the world, and two part of that is also that advantages tend to be less, more good at one thing and more like also good at another thing. So it yeah. tends to give you more width, and in that case, it's it's harder to feel the power disparity, right? Like. Maybe that means that, like, your character's useful in three out of four instead of two out of four situations. But that kind of stings a lot less than, like, being the guy who's better at the thing you're always doing um, than everybody else. Yep. Um, uh, the, 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 you know. And I think that's kind of one of the advantages of, of that of that style of advancement um, is, is that you, you can have character differentiation um, a little bit more without... Uh, Without without introducing a lot of these problems, um, you know, at, at a kind of even very micro level, the fact that certain uh, nations, people of certain nations, get advantages at less points, would kind of 
point to these kinds of problems, but but since they're width rather than kind of height, um, or or depth of power, maybe is the better way to express that. Um, it, it's not so much of a problem. Well, I also think, I mean, I think that kind of thing crops up in Pathfinder with, like, bonus feats or something like that, right? Like, if I get a bonus feat at some level that grants me a prerequisite, right, um, and allows me to kind of complete a feat track earlier than another player can complete that feat track because they have to spend each of their odd level feats on it or whatever, right? Like, I think it's that kind of a thing. And even in Pathfinder, I don't think that's a pretty huge deal, Um Though I do, I like I. There is a certain part of me that does kind of like uh, the Warhammer Fantasy system almost best um, when it comes to this sort of thing. Like I almost think I might prefer, um, insofar as numerical experience is a thing, turning it into kind of a true blue currency rather than um, having it be. Like having having this stuff like abstractly be tied to level, like I I like you know what if you broke up all of the stuff that made your individual levels into into experience point value right um, that you could buy as soon as you earned the n- enough experience points it kind of gets rid of like the leveling problem mid session sure. sort of thing because you just buy you know hey I buy plus one attack bonus or I buy my feet for the level, right? And it's kind of a much more instantaneous sort of thing. And I think that, uh, and I do think that there's a real, that there's a real benefit to kind of, um, you know, like microing out the progression tree to be a lot of little decisions um, in so, a way versus like big things that kind of drop in your lap that aren't really decisions. You don't make a decision to level. Leveling sort of just happens, but I almost kind of like the idea of Insofar as you're doing numerical experience and turning it into a currency, turning it into a currency also turns it into a decision for the player. So I'm going to point out the flaw in this, and it's it's easy to do because we've got the big seven. And this is that, um, this is something um, again that the Anchor GM talks about is is kind of you need to protect the player from themselves in some situations. And what that can lead to is that you need to buy all of the plus ones as fast as possible, even though those are the boring decisions, they are the most kind of bang for your buck and the ones that will make you the most effective. And you kind of incentivize that when you make the micro decisions that you buy like that. And putting it into levels makes like a certain amount of that passive power go along with kind of interesting choice um, decisions, right? Like, like you know, like feet decisions. Um, and um, I think there's ways around it. Like, I think you can, if you like kind of minimize the need for those passive bonuses you can kind of pull that out but i do think that that's a danger like if you if you just kind of try to do this microsystem in pathfinder alone the quote-unquote correct way to do it would be to buy your max bab as fast as possible and not take any feats so i actually don't know that that's true though because for like a wizard the thing it's to buy your uh spell levels as fast as possible and sure. I think that there are plenty of situations where, you know, I think I think weapon specialization is a more valuable feat to a fighter um, than plus one BAB. Um, that's, I actually don't know that, the math on that. That's that numerically might not be untrue. Un- that is numerically untrue. Um, any, like, the, the reason that is is because, like, a hit is, um, you know, like, hitting a hit is going to be more damage than two 90% of the time. Um, and, you know... That all aside, I, I don't like, know that the math because you're you're increasing your percentage to hit by five percent, right? 
but increasing the amount of damage you do per hit by two i don't know i would have like you would have to like really do the math you, you, you would have to, to sit to down and do out the math but also weapon specialization is, is also kind of like a buy your bap type of feat right yeah. like, it, it, i guess i guess i guess a better example of this might be a, a something like uh you know what's the what's the what's the one that allows you to do the standard action that fighters get sometimes like cleave or something like that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like where you get you get a feat that allows you to play the game differently and isn't a numerical kind of choice or whatever. Like let's say let's say you're a fighter who is who is gunning for spring attack, right? And for when you're getting dodge and mobility, okay, those things can come after you 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 skill up your BAB, right? But like if the thi- if the thing if the big thing you're working for or you're like you're working towards is um, spring attack the level that you can buy, you know, like the the moment that you can buy spring attack, you buy spring attack, right? I so I, I don't think it is always, you know, the plus ones. Um, it is always the plus ones that matter, though. I definitely would agree that they are the most impactful thing. Like maybe, see, I actually think like doing the plus ones is kind of like the point of it. Like I was about to say, like maybe once you maybe you just do class features, right? Like everything that falls in that class feature side of the thing, you just divide that up and you say. You know what I mean? You can buy each of these individually, and when you buy all three, you get all the passives that, like, all the, all of your passive plus ones increase along with that. But I actually like the idea that someone chooses between their BAB or their HP, or their saves and their BAB, um, uh, or, you know, their spell, like, upping, upping my spell level or getting my... Um, incremental plus one to, you know, that's going to tick over my intelligence to 18 versus... Uh, versus whatever i mean like i understand how some of these choices can be calculations rather than choices and that's not exactly great um but i also think that like and this is a very thing that like a wow a wow player with this would say i think that allowing players to do their own calculations for their own characters and make those choices is a is a gratifying thing to do uh see hmm. I, I, I just don't think it works out as well in tabletop stuff. Like, I, I get your point. Um, and I can even see it, like, being, like, you know, if it's... I mean, really, I, I'm kind of just saying that, like, players are responsible for their own shit. And it's not my fault that you didn't buy your BAB, you dub fighter. Why would you buy... You no, know no. what I mean? Like, you know, but I think that's actually kind of the... Va- like, you know, like, I think... Man, I can't believe you're arguing me with me on this now. I just realized that I'm arguing like the player choice side, and you're arguing. The no, no. So, so, so my, my my point is not that. It my point is that by by like giving them the ability to choose beyond these other things, you kind of reduce the set of what's actually viable, right? This is the problem. Like this, this is like the the flaming sword problem, right? Like that raw one d six is always better than some circumstantial bonus at kind of some other level because the 1d6 is always relevant right um and right but that's about see that to me is a balance problem and i don't think that that's a balance problem that really translates one-to-one into so uh, so so maybe to be a little bit clearer make it a little bit clearer i think if you took the pathfinder system as is and you just took all those pieces and gave them experience cost to them you would have that balance problem how, but how the, oh, okay. Uh, oh, you know, I think I understand it. Here's another piece of it, though. You wouldn't be able to just put all of your points in BAB. Okay, sure. Right, so, like, yeah, part, I think that's it. Because I haven't mentioned, or I haven't said that. But that's the I, that's an extra framework that I think I, like, you wouldn't be able to buy four levels of BAB 
before you fill out the rest. I feel like you would have to fill out everything in your level, right? So you would have to go BAB, and then you couldn't hit BAB until you did your saves and you did your HP and you did all of your class features. Does that make sense? Does that make more okay. sense? Okay, I, I think that it's a lot more tenable and understandable, yeah. and I still think that 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 could potentially fall fall prey to the you always buy your BAB first because that's the one that makes the, the that's the most important one right um but i think that that's a much more manageable problem because also if you're doing it this way that problem is around for much less of the time yeah, uh, yeah. um the other stuff but yeah um I, I think that's workable yeah i think the, the only thing that stops that from being the case is that you would actually have to go out and like really like as the gm or maybe the gm would offload this onto the players but that seems dangerous to me like as the gm you would have to break this stuff down and start assigning like point values to everything like that um and even if you did it where you just say okay well everything you can buy divided by the number of experience you would need in order to level sort of thing excuse me um i almost feel as though that is a tough thing to do for like like the G gms are already doing so much shit um that like asking them to kind of like do this extra, you know, like do this extra sort of thing, like that's a that's a tough sell to me. Yeah, like, I, I don't know that. Like, I I think that would be a better system, but I don't know that it's worth the time to be the best. Yeah, system. yeah, yeah. It's 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 a form of partial advantage. Like the advantage there too is that like you players are able to improve themselves in more frequently, and that that that's got some some oomph to it, and some better feeling to it, right? Like if at the end of every session you can be a little bit better instead of at the end of every fourth session being a lot better. I think right. that, that that's valuable. And I'll agree with you on that. Um, like if, if Paizo went and drew out tables for that, I think it'd be an interesting thing to do. Um, especially cause they know all the math behind it. Right. Um, in the first place. Uh, but I think other than that, I think you're absolutely right. That, that, uh, that it's, it's, it's probably a little bit much to ask a GM to do. Um, but that's um, kind of all the time we have for that. Did you have any final thoughts on experience that you wanted to, to share? No, I guess uh, I feel like we, we got to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, how was your week? Uh, how was my week? I didn't really do a ton of stuff. I mean, we played Vermintide. That was like the big thing, I feel like. Okay. Uh, we, we didn't actually directly play together, but we, we all... Yeah, we, we both played independently for a couple of hours. It played for maybe like two or three hours. Yeah, same actually. About about the same amount. Um, what what do you think? I like it. It seems fun and good. This is a lot like Payday, and I like it. It seems fun and good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, I am. I I feel like I don't know. I I, I have yet to find a game where melee combat feels super satisfying to me. Um, and like. I don't know what makes it feel this way, but, like, everything feels kind of like, what's the way I want to put this? Almost, like, paper thin. Like, like feel things don't feel, like, in, uh, impactful, right? Like, in Destiny, um, like, the gunplay, like, like the, the hand cannons feel stronger than, like, an auto rifle. And they all have this, this, this different feel to them that makes it feel like the weapons have weight. And I just don't feel that in this game. Um, and I don't know what what does that, um, or you know, if you share the same perception. But um, I'm having fun with it. But it, it it doesn't feel as good as other games that I that I play. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but it's still fun to play with a bunch of people. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm if, if I play this by myself at all. Um, it's kind of like the killing hordes of enemies is, is good fun with the group. Uh, uh, Twitch integration is neat. Uh, viewers can yeah. So what can they vote on in with Twitch integration? So, so so just so the people at home know, when you turn on Twitch integration, um, uh, you can when you while you're watching the stream. It will read stuff off of your Twitch chat and let the audience decide things for you. And every couple of minutes, a choice will pop up and it'll either be a um, sometimes it's like a good thing and a bad thing. Sometimes it's two bad things. Sometimes it's two good things. And occasionally it's like give a thing to one of the four players vote on it. Um, and after a set amount of time, like the votes are tallied and like. Uh, usually what it is, is, is one of the two bad things or a bad thing or a good thing. And it's like, uh, a bunch of Gatling rats will show up. Um, it's, oh my God. Or like a, a, an, a rat ogre will show up. Um, or, uh, the, the sorcerers that do like the big windy spirals will show yeah, up. Yeah, plague winds. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel, I feel very, but part of what I like about Vermintide is that because I'm relatively familiar with like. Uh, or because I'm int intimately familiar with like Total War, I feel intimately familiar with like the lore or whatever of this game. And like people be like, "Oh, the machine gun guy," I'm like, mm, "The rattling cannon." Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, they. So, you know, it can be fun when it's like, "Oh no, I hope they give us the healing boost instead of having to fight off the rat ogre." Um, but you know. It depends, and it's, it's also fun, like for for us that are playing. It's you know people that we know mostly that are voting, so you know we can be like, God damn it, Sal, why did you fuck you know why did you fuck us up? Um, uh, or please give us the bonus that way we can complete the level. Oh my um, god! Uh, and it, it's it's fun from that perspective. It definitely makes the game harder. Um, on balancing, there are more negative things, and like we couldn't beat the first level with it on for two games just because it's just so much extra stuff. Um, and it's fairly relentless, right? Like there, there's, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that it, it comes up a lot of times. Um, but like once you're a little bit into it, it's fine. Like I just, I just don't think for like those opening, like until you're like level maybe three or so, maybe leave it off. Um, but it, like I said, it, it's still fun, especially for, I'm sure that there's good audience interaction for it. Right. Um, for like smaller streamers or whatever. Uh, uh, and it's neat. Um, I, I'm also digging kind of the, uh, the aesthetic. Like I love playing as the witch, the witch hunter. Uh, he, he's definitely my jam. Um, this is also a lot of systems in there, right? Like there's crafting, there's, uh, there's like the different character classes, there's talents and, and um, it, it kind of pulls you into it slow enough that I think that I think it's neat. Uh, who, what, what character have you been playing? Sure. Yeah. I've been playing the empire captain. Um, so we did, like, one or two games where I just had, like, the great sword, but then I picked up this, like, sword and shield combo, and I was kind of acting as the group's tank, and I'm not incredibly sure, I'm not incredibly sure that I think, like, tanking is, like, a thing, almost, do you know what I mean? Like, um, but I, I, I think the melee combat is pretty good, um... All things considered, you know, not amazing, not terrible, I guess. Um, 
and uh, and I was having a pretty good time, uh, you know, cutting shit up. Like something that I was interested with with the when I switched to the sword and shield is that I didn't feel as though the sword and shield was like dramatically worse than I was when I was when I had a great sword. Um, which is kind of what I expected to be the case because, like, I'm kind of biased towards things like WoW or, like, Dragon Age or something like that. Like, as soon as you kind of signal to the system that you're tanking, your damage output is just, like, boop, right? Um, but, uh, but the game doesn't do that, which is pretty great. Um, and, uh, that is, yeah. uh, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that that didn't, I'm glad that that didn't happen, I guess. Yeah. So, so I uh, thinking about it, I think I can figure out what feels bad about first person melee combat, and it's and I think it's down to a lot of animation stuff, like, um, uh, when you fire a gun, right? Like the only thing that has to move really is the uh, is the gun that you're holding, right? And it, like you can feel all the force feed, like you can see the feedback in the gun itself, right? Like yeah. the recoil or whatever, and that can make it feel like it's weighty, but with melee weapons um it's really hard technically to get like weapons to react to hitting something right and so a lot of games i think warhammer included just kind of like let the animation play through regardless of kind of like uh like uh what where it's striking on the character right like it's not like you know like it's like banging against like a shield or whatever and like reverberating off just kind of like plays the animation if it connects to the to the uh model of the other character, it applies some damage, and the damage goes down. And I think that's kind of, like, the big thing, is that there there hasn't been a game that has, like... Except for, like, say, uh... What's it, um... The Ubisoft one that we played for a while that kind of fell off the face of the planet. For Honor. For Honor was good about it. Um, because it was all about kind of, like, dueling. Um, and so you, you, you got those kind of, like, interactions of, like, you know, weapons hitting weapons and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and so I, th I think if, if, uh, if we can get, if a developer can come up with a good system for making weapons feel like they're actually hitting things well, I think that'll be a, a big step forward. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, I feel, I guess I feel that. Uh, I also kind of wonder w if it would be better if it was third person, um, because... I don't know i like third person i guess i like third person melee combat uh more than first person melee combat i can't think of any other first person melee combat i've done that i think is better than something like dragon age right um yeah or like skyrim well yeah. skyrim i kind of did first person but i mean everybody just plays a fucking stealth archer so <laughs> yeah. stealth, stealth archery yeah uh, that's that's the way to do it um uh, did you do anything else this week? Um, did I do anything else this week? Not really. I've I I I finally got my eleventh out of twelve classes to one ten. I got my rogue, um, to one ten. And I have to say, man, holy shit, rogue in WoW. Um, rogue is pretty awesome and pretty cool. And everybody that complains about it is wrong and dumb. And they're dumb and they're wrong. And that's 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 that. Um, so outlaw rogue, um, people, people complain about outlaw, outlaw rogue because you're doing the dice rolling thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the dice, ro dice rolling thing does legitimately suck or I could, I, I haven't felt this and it's probably cause I don't main the character or anything like that. But like, you know, I can understand how somebody feels like they suck when they do the kind of like, I'm, 
I'm having fun when my numbers are good thing. Um, but I don't know, just like rolling, like rolling for buffs and you always get, you know, one buff at, at the very least. Right. Um, rolling for buffs is just like a lot of fun, uh, because it changes your, you know, your, your gameplay, your rotation inside of, uh, the, uh, like, like every 40 seconds, your rotation changes, you know what I mean? Which I think is really cool. There are a couple of ones that don't really affect it. Like there's one that's like a crit chance and there's one that's like just attack speed, um, or whatever. And those ones don't really make a big difference, but like, yeah, like you better believe earning an extra combo point uh is on all of your moves is gonna make a big difference to how i play the class or like you know triggering the saber slash 25 percent more often right or cooling down my offensive abilities you know by one second for every combo point i i i hit right like all that stuff is just cool yeah no i i need to level up my 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 uh my outlaw rogue he's my main alliance character i just haven't gotten around to playing him in in a while um just because i i quit the game for a while yeah um yeah my plan in, in battle for azeroth is to have an alliance main and a horde main um because specifically for like warfronts and stuff like that like i want to yeah. do warfronts from both sides i want to see the war you know like the war campaign um from both from like both sides of things right um so I have been, I have been, uh, working towards both ends, I guess, uh, of the system. Neat. Um. Yeah. Uh. Well, in other news, the the game I have been, uh, playing, uh, the most this week has probably been Far Cry Five. Um. It is. It's a neat game. Um. It's it's a very strange game. It feels you know very very far cry-ish, right? Like, it's an open-world game. Um, the weapons selection seems a little bit limited, but that's fine. I'm still having a, a ton of fun with it. I've done two out of the three um, kind of, like, sub-bosses before you hit the, the main guy. Um, the exploration systems are great. Um, like, there's some things that I think are a little weird that are, are perks, right? Like, you get a grappling hook and a wingsuit oh, wow. and a parachute, but you have to perk into them, but they're kind of necessary, especially for, um, so there are three kids or they're not kids. I think they're siblings. Technically there's John, Jacob and faith. Um, uh, I did Jake. So most, I, the game suggests you do John first. I did Jacob first because there's a bear you can get as a companion. And I wanted to do that. So I went and got the bear first, um, and did that, that Jacob's region, um, the right. Jacob's region is has been my favorite so far. It's got a lot of uh, hills, it's a lot of exploration. It's very outdoorsy. You do a lot of climbing with the grappling hook. There's a lot of high spaces to jump off with the wingsuit. It's super satisfying. Um, I really liked his story moment too. Um, it's uh, it's this kind of like really cool. There's a, there's a really cool moment in it, in it that uh, I don't want to spoil for you if you decide to play the game. Uh, so I'll keep it to myself. I do have I do have designs on playing this game. Okay. So we don't know when they will come to fruition. Um, uh, but uh, um, and by comparison, John's area is relatively flat and it's like farmland. And I, you're supposed to I think, um, play around more with like the the planes and the helicopters, but that's not my favorite thing. Um, so I just kind of did less of that, uh, and so I enjoyed it comparatively less. Um, 
there's this thing that happens in all three regions where like you'll be doing your open world thing and uh you'll be gaining basically like a resistance meter and when you hit certain breakpoints um the uh uh what's it called the uh the the boss of the area will like s like call you on the radio and be like i'm mad and uh for jacob it's i'm being hunted for john it's like you're marked and for faith i think it's you're blessed and something will happen and you will be pulled out of whatever you're doing um in jacob's case like people like in jacob and john's case people will come and hunt you down and drag you off um in faith's case it was triggered by like doing something on my own which is interesting which means you could maybe push it off i'll have more thoughts on that later um but uh, uh i'm the least I'm, i am the least into faith so uh maybe that mechanic changes but it's kind of jarring because it pulls you out of whatever you wanted to be doing and are now you're instead doing um this story mission um but it's kind of a good way to kind of push the story forward if that makes sense like i have no doubt that like i'd still be screwing around in john jacob's region not doing the quests um, right instead of having advance through the story if this wasn't the case um but uh uh and I, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of to kind of do it too right like you do a certain amount of stuff in the region and you kind of transform the region once you kind of liberate a region um there's a lot less random enemies a lot more random friendlies around that you can still do the missions and whatnot um and it's that's a ton of fun there's these set of side missions there's like a uh, there's a there, there's like a stuntman from the area called Clint Nixon, and it's just like a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of kind of like time trialy type stuff like do the wings through the wings to fly the plane through the wings drive the boat, um, but it's like so over the top right like you click on like you you go to enter the mission and uh, an eagle screams and like the American flag waves across the screen and there's a bunch of fire it's like yeah. And it plays yeah. like, plays like a little <laughs> hair, hair metal, and it's just like so, like good and so perfect that like I, I really enjoy it for for that aspect, um, uh, and so that's definitely a, definitely a highlight. The characters are all also pretty great. Like, there's um, one of one of the friends you get is this guy called Herc, and the dad's kind of like a very typical conservative, and the son's like a little bit more of like a like yeah, like the like the like a friendly redneck. Um, um, and he's just like, I don't mean anybody any offense, but we're going to go blow stuff up with my rocket propelled grenades. Um, and, but it's like, well, there's this moment where the, the dad's like running for state Senate, um, you know, before the events of the, the campaign happen. And the first thing he does, he has, you go get your, his truck back from the cultists. His truck is a, is a, uh, it's like a Jeep with a, like a turret mounted gun on the back. And he named it Nancy after the nation's greatest first lady. Oh uh, my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. And then there's uh, there's like a quest. The next quest you do for him is is it's about gerrymandering. He's like, you know what gerrymandering is? Didn't think so. You're a normal American like me, but the eggheads tell me that gerrymandering means that the uh. Or rather, that the cultists aren't going to vote for me, and the only way that I could have won is if you gerrymandered, or as if we gerrymandered them three years ago. We can't do that. But it occurs to me that if all they need to do is not vote, well, we could do that in other ways. 
No, I'm not suggesting that you murder them per se, but if they were to fall on a bunch of bullets, it would probably help my election chances. And so they used that as justification to go kill a bunch of cultists. Two, oh my god. To be fair, are shooting at you, right? It's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. you sneak up on a bunch of innocent people and kill them, but you know. I um, mean, I actually, you know, I I have I have some very complicated thoughts about violence in video games, like which probably we can't get into in like the seven minutes remaining in the yeah. podcast or anything like that. But I actually almost like I almost kind of like wonder what the space for like that kind of thing is. Um, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, at what point? At what point can you play? You know what I mean? Could you? Could, like, at what point could you make like a World War Two where you play from the point of view as a Nazi, and the whole point? I guess Spec Ops, Spec Ops, the line to this, and the whole point is just to make you feel disgusted. You know what I mean? That like you're running around being like awful or whatever. Yeah, I, I think I think part of that's hard too because like playing as a Nazi soldier, I think is a little bit like kind of less disgusting in yeah kind of thought because like you know soldiers on the battlefield or whatever and like, yeah and you know, i guess i guess like a nazi soldier at d-day also is not simultaneously like flipping the on switch on like ovens in yeah. you know auschwitz or something yeah be, being like i i feel like it'd be just hard to make a compelling game out of being a prison guard or you know like a, yeah, a concentration yeah. camp guard um although i'm you know what's popping into my head is like uh it's like an Overlord-style game where you stop people from escaping, which sounds terrible. Maybe I shouldn't Yeah, talk I mean, about I guess... Anymore, Ty- but, did you ever yeah. play more of Tyranny? Tyranny had aspects of this. Yeah. Um, and Because, like, you were playing, like, pretty explicitly, like, a bad guy or yeah. whatever. But, like, it was at least somewhat, like... Like, you were, a, you were, like, a brutal and cruel person in a brutal and cruel world. world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is a little bit different than, like... I don't know. I also don't know how I would interface with, like... Like, even though I think that that would be, like, an interesting experience. Like, how do you... Jesus Christ. Like, how could you justify making money off of playing, like, a prison guard at, like, Auschwitz? Right? Like, that's just, like, a whole other ballpark of kind of, like, ethics questions that I don't know yeah. anybody is yeah. really prepared to tackle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there are ways to do it. It's just that it is very hard in a video game to not celebrate victory. And victory in that circumstance is the thing that you that you want to kind of like paint opposite yeah. of. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, and I think that's the juxtaposition that you're going yeah. for in a lot of ways, right? Like, what happens when your explicit win state is dependent on you utterly forsaking your morality? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, do you just put down the game? That's what Spec Ops asks you to do. You know what I mean? Like, it like it has like loading screen text. That's like, you could just turn off the game whenever you want. You know what I mean? And it had an explicit win state that was all about calling you out. Like, you the player out. Uh, I love Spec Ops. Spec Ops is like, Jesus Christ. It's like one of the best games of all time, I think. Uh, Just because, like, it really grapples with some, like, hardcore shit that nobody, like, that people don't think of. Far Cry 3 did a lot of this um, in a lot of ways. Because it really called into question, right, like, the violence that you were uh, partaking in and that you were kind of, like, implicitly celebrating. Um, so. Yeah. Um, and, and Jacob's storyline does this. And actually, so does John's storyline does that a little, does this a little bit as well. Um, it doesn't go quite as deep as, as I would have liked it to. Um, but um, just to be clear, like, like the, the amount of kind of, like, overt politicalness in Far Cry 5 seems to be... Uh, few and far between, um, which I'm okay with, right? Like, 
I think that this game was, while it might have been marketed in a certain way, I think this game was designed to be more of a Waco Ruby Ridge more than a reflection of the current political climate. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting game to have, and I'm glad that we kind of have that in this way. Um, uh, it's just kind of not what I think a lot of people expected, given the marketing. Um, that's its 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 own set of of issues. But I do think the game's a lot of fun. I would recommend it. Um, uh, I have heard that it's very similar to the other Far Cry. It feels very similar to Far Cry Three. Um, from what I've played, but I haven't played Far Cry 3 in a while, so I was ready for something, you know. You yeah, know, I love all the Far Cry. Cry games. I mean, you know, the people people say, uh, people get really mad because Far Cry kind of just repeats the same thing in a lot of ways, like Far Cry 3, Far Cry 4, Far Cry Primal, and now Far Cry 5. Like, there's not a ton of difference between these games. They're pretty much the same game in, with, with, different, with, like, some different aspects kind of, like, massaged in there uh uh as as kind of necessary but i actually kind of think that that's okay um yeah sometimes like, you just want another cheeseburger yeah like i think it's just a good you know what i mean like sure it's the same you know mechanics chassis that we've we've gotten over the past couple of years but it's a really good one like yeah man like they they're good at this shit so I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to complain too much. As long as they're spaced out enough, I think. I think it's fine, right? Like, you know, maybe if I had played Far Cry Four and Far Cry Primal, I wouldn't be as down. But I haven't played any Far Cry games since Far Cry Three, so you know, it's yeah. Fun. Yeah, it's true. I actually replayed all. I replayed Far Cry Three end to end because I was so hyped for Far Cry Four, and then I played a bunch of Far Cry Four to be honest. But I never actually like beat the game. Uh, so hypothetically, I also kind of, I guess, burned myself out. On, uh, on far. I have twenty nine hours in Far Cry in Far Cry three, um, and I've beaten that game twice. So, yeah. So something that this game does really that's I think kind of funny is you know the, the Ubisoft you go up in radio towers and and uh, like survey the landscape. They took that out of this game, um, but at the very beginning of the game you do go repair a radio tower, and as you're climbing up, the guy's like, "No, I'm not gonna be asking you to climb radio towers across the county or anything. We need to fix this one." You kind of get the. <laughs> The radio is up and running, and it, it's I you know I thought that was that was a nice little job at yourselves, but the yeah there's some mechanics that are just like so satisfying like like basically you throw you throw melee you can throw melee weapons and you throw shovels like spears and it's just very satisfying to like nail someone in the head with a shovel. Uh, <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> or like um, I don't know if it's possible with, with all the melee weapons, but like. With the baseball bat, if you do a takedown, you sneak up on someone and do a takedown, and there's someone within range, you can kind of hit the the right the right trigger, and it just whips the fucking baseball bat at them, clonks them in the head, and knocks them out. It just, you know, um, I've slowly gone from like all stealth all the time to like like running with an LMG and my bear and my friend with the RPG and just blow the shit out of everything, um, to like kind of mixing it up, and it's it's all fun and it's definitely possible to enjoy all of them in the same run. It's not like you you corner yourself uh, by playing a particular style or anything. But uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. Right. Uh, so I recommend it for everybody. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with your week? I think it's pretty uh, No, you know, I, 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 the one thing I actually want to, want to say is, uh, have you, uh, have you ever watched 21 Jump Street? No. Okay. I highly recommend watch. Th this came up because I was talking with some friends last night and we were talking about how it's a real shame that Chris Lord and Phil, um, uh, wait, Chris Miller, Phil Lord, 
Chris Lord, Phil Miller? They got, whoever they whatever. are, they got kicked off a of Han Solo. Yeah, they got kicked off the Han Solo movie. And I was like, you know what, man? 21 Jump Street is like a really funny movie. I should go watch that movie. I highly recommend people go watch that movie just because it's on my mind. Yeah. There you go. That's my plug for the week. All right. Uh, well, if that's it, um, then I think that the listeners can tell us what they thought about experience systems and character advancement or... Uh, World of Warcraft or Far Cry 5 or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast at podcast.subnervousplaygames.com or subnervousplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitch. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. Links are all in the description. Uh, You can follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us comments and ratings on iTunes. We love it. Um, I think that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Uh, In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.